What are some of the ways that the Legacy Standard Bible is like the New American Standard Bible? How do we steward the household of God? And can a woman teach in a mixed class of men and women in the church? The answer is when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible commentary that we may be equipped for every good work in Jesus Christ our Lord. Please tell others about our ministry at www.utt.com. Here once again is Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky, and greetings, everyone. I am flying solo this week, and I'm in Oklahoma City, (laughs) so I'm not even in the same town as Becky right now. I have been at First Baptist Church in Piedmont, Oklahoma, this week as we've been doing our G3 Expository Workshop, helping to equip pastors with the tools that they need to do expositional preaching. I've talked about this on the podcast before. If you are a pastor or an elder, or you know somebody who is a pastor or uh, even aspires to become one, maybe they're a Sunday school teacher, they're thinking about improving their teaching or even moving up into the position of becoming an elder or a pastor, direct them to these G3 expository workshops. It does not matter how long you've been preaching, how seasoned you are in the pulpit. Everybody needs one of these workshops. And I would say attend more than one of them. <laughs> Go to this several times uh, because, uh, man, it's it's just like getting a, a crash course on the calling that each of us has as pastors, and that is to teach verse by verse through the Bible. I think that is our our first responsibility when it comes to teaching the full counsel of God, that the main work of preaching that is done from the pulpit is expository. It's, It's going through the Bible. It's looking at those passages in context. You can go verse by verse through the Bible and actually not be an expository teacher. So what does it mean to be expository? How do you do this in the right way, that you understand the text as it was written to the original audience, from the original author to the original audience, and then taking that, tying that back into the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then taking that and giving modern application for our day. So that's what that's what we accomplish here in these expository workshops that we do. So if you're interested in this, you want to learn more, you want to sign somebody up for this, Go to g3men.org, that's G, the number three, M-I-N dot O-R-G, and then it'll be on there somewhere on the front page where you click on the link that'll take you to the expository workshop page. We just finished up the one in Oklahoma City. That's probably still going to be on the page, but then we've also got them coming up in Little Rock, Arkansas. That's going to be January 19th and 20th, and we're going to go through the book of Mark. Another one is February 8th and 9th. That's going to be in Douglasville, Georgia. And I don't know what book they're going through there. But then we have 2 Timothy, March 7th and 8th in Santa Clarita, California. That's right ahead of ShepCon. So if you're listening as a pastor and you're going to the Shepherds Conference and you're thinking about doing one of these expository workshops in addition to the conference that you're attending, you'd have to be there a couple of extra days, and there's even some work that we give you to do because you will be handed a text assignment that you're supposed to work through and create a structure and outline, the theme of the text, aim, take us through all of that, and then your work will be critiqued as well. I've done this several times, and I love it. Yeah, you're going to get critiqued. You're going to be shown 
uh, where you're right and wrong, <laughs> but it's still great. And, and it has helped my preaching tremendously. So again, to, uh, for more information on this, go to g3min.org. And if you've if you'd heard the announcement that was made at the last G3 in October, they're also doing this for worship leaders now. So now there's worship workshops that they're putting together. And rumor has it, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but yeah, this is what you get for telling me things. Rumor has it they're doing this for women as well. So there are going to be some women workshops coming up. It won't be structured quite the same as the way we do the expository workshops for the pastors, but nonetheless, women will also be taught how to read and study and understand the scriptures in context, expository, and be able to lead that in you know women's groups or something like that as well. So be looking for more information on that in the near future. This is the Friday edition of the broadcast, and we take questions from the listeners and respond to them on Friday. You can submit those questions to when we understand the text at gmail.com. This first question comes from Dan, and he says, Pastor Gabe, thank you for your devotionals. They get me to and from work every day. So wonderful to hear that, Dan. I love hearing the Word of God preached. You mentioned recently that the full... Legacy Standard Bible is now online, and I'm thinking about ordering a copy from myself, or, or for myself. <laughs> I, I'm going to order one from and for myself. How about that? Anyway, uh, the uh, yeah, so I've been going through 1 Corinthians, and I have been teaching out of the Legacy Standard Bible. You can get the full digital Legacy Standard Bible on their website. It's up there now. In fact, let me bring it up. It's managed by the same guys who do Literal Word. They just have a wonderful knack of knowing how to lay this stuff out. They're terrific at it. I wish they would do the LSB app as well, because the Literal Word Bible app is way better than the LSB Bible app. Anyway, so the Legacy Standard website, you go to read.lsbible.org. That's read.lsbible.org, and that will get you straight to the page. I'm going to double check that, just to make sure that's right. Right. Uh, correct. So it comes up LSB by, and then you can uh, type into the search bar whatever uh, book of the Bible you want to go to. And I have it by default. I have it on Matthew chapter one. So that comes up automatically when I click on the link. But it's online, and you can also order the full Legacy Standard Bible, like in a hard copy, either hardbound, softbound, leather bound. That's at Steadfast Bibles. That's where they are uh, selling the. Legacy Standard Bible. So you want to go to steadfastbibles.com. As I mentioned, I'm here in Piedmont, Oklahoma, and Mike Riccardi of Grace Community Church is here helping us teach these expository workshops. Uh, and the book of 2 Corinthians is what we've been going through. That's a book that Mike Riccardi has preached through several times. He was on the committee providing uh, some editing pointers, expertise, I guess, concerning uh, different books of the New Testament. I know that he mentioned 2 Corinthians as well. So I've been here with one of the guys that has helped with the editing of the Legacy Standard Bible. This has been a great translation of the Bible. I've enjoyed it a lot, and I hope that you've uh, enjoyed the teaching that has come from it that I've been doing out of 1 Corinthians and out of the book of Proverbs. So anyway, Dan goes on. I didn't even finish Dan's email. I have been a faithful NASB reader for over 20 years. That's the New American Standard Bible. My question is, how different is it from the NASB 95? How different is the LSB from the NASB 95? I've heard you make comparisons between the Legacy Standard Bible 
and the English Standard Version, but I'm not sure if I've heard you make a comparison to the NASB. Thank you for your work. Well, I listened to a panel of uh, the, uh, the, the translation experts, the editors of the Legacy Standard Bible. I, I listened to a panel of them talking about some of the things that they did with the Legacy Standard translation. And I remember one of the things they said was, we felt like the New American Standard Bible 1995 edition of their translation was really, really good. And we did not want to change much about it. There were just certain things that could be tightened up, language that could be updated. So essentially what the Legacy Standard Bible is, it's the New American Standard, or, or rather it's what the New American Standard 2020 should have been. So last year, the New American Standard Bible came out with their 2020 translation, which is just 25 years after the 95, but they've updated some of the language and things. There were some changes that they made that uh, the folks with Master's Seminary, with Master's University, just did not like the direction with the translation philosophy that the Lockman Foundation was taking. So they asked the Lockman Foundation if they could use the NASB 95 and they could essentially do a translation update, what they believed that the 2020 should have been. That's what the Legacy Standard Bible is. I caught up with Mike Riccardi at the expository workshop here in Oklahoma and asked him about translating the Legacy Standard Bible. Lachman was going to make a 2020 update. It was going to move more into the gender neutral, like brothers and sisters when it was just brothers, you know, um, more like capping sentences, cutting off sentences in the middle, put a period, start a new sentence because it was easier reading, right? And so MacArthur said, well, we don't want to do that. We want to, we want to keep the, 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 what's good about the 95. Lachman said they would give us the rights. Well, then it was like, well, if we've got the rights, can we at least do a few major changes? One being put the divine name Yahweh where they have the Lord in all capitals. The other to, to do slave for do loss instead of servant or bond servant, because that's actually what it means. And then there was there was one other main one that I forget off the top of my head where they said, we want to we want to make this change. And they said, yeah, you can make that change. And then once we were doing those, they were like, well, you know, everybody had their thing, right? Oh, well, if we're going to we're going to get it to make a change, like make sure you correct this in the NAS 95. Like even for me, first John 5, 1. <laughs> Everyone who is who is uh, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, NAS says, is born of God. The Greek has the perfect, and so it's has been born of God. It's what the ESV has. Why is it is born present participle instead of has been born past participle? Well, we said well, let's let's fix that. And so then that got it on the on the point. Well, if we're going to do that much, <laughs> what else are we going to do? And they convened a committee to go through and say, well, you know what we really need to do is we need to make sure that there is lexical uniformity as much as possible so that when you see a particular English word, you know that that's really representing a Hebrew word or a Greek word every time. This way you can make intertextual connections the way the original audience would have made them because when, when they heard that one word, it was the same word every time they heard it. So why shouldn't it be the same word every time when you read it in translation? Now that's not possible 100% because languages don't map one-to-one -one from you know Hebrew to English, Greek to English. But for the most part, you can, you can be much more consistent um, than any other translation wants to be. 
And so the, the great value of the legacy is that you have a lot more lexical consistency than in other translations. So that when you see this particular word you know, pop up again in a different context, you know it was the same Greek word as that other one. The trend in Bible translation is to consistently be updating them for the reader. And this one is an update to the, to the text. It's saying, let's get everything as uniform as it can be. So is the LSB more literal than the NASB? Yes. Um, and, and, and particularly, it's, it is so by being more, more lexically uniform. But there are going to be things, like in any translation, where you're going to say, ah, you know what, I think that you could have rendered that better. Um, sometimes, sometimes the desire for lexical uniformity obscures the author's intention when he wants to do some wordplay. Granted, that's the minority. So, my, like, my go-to example for this is in John 19, where Jesus says, it is finished, right? It's to telestai from the verb teleao, to fulfill, to complete, to bring to completion. Well, two times in the previous two paragraphs, the term is used to speak of fulfilling the scriptures. So that the scripture may be fulfilled, so that the scripture may be fulfilled, and then at the end, you could say, it is fulfilled, right? But Jesus isn't only, in 1930, he's not only talking about, all right, everything in Scripture has been fulfilled. He's talking about, all right, the work that the Father's given me to do is done. The work of atonement is accomplished, right? And so what the, NA, what the LSB does is it says, well, we got to keep it as finished because no English translation, in the history of English translations, translate John 1930 by anything other than that. So let's, instead of saying to fulfill the scripture, let's say to finish the scripture so that the reader knows when Jesus says it is finished, it was, it was in that series, right? Well, the, the reality is, is that teleao has a, a broad semantic range, broad enough to encompass the kind of fulfilling that one would do of scripture passages and predictions and the kind of finishing that Jesus would do in the work of atonement. And he uses an intentionally elastic term, or at least elastic enough, to embrace those two senses in that context to show wordplay. So if you make them uniform, you're missing something. To finish the scripture makes it sound like you're actually completing the sentences. But that's not what it means. It means to fulfill the scripture, to bring it to completion, to, to fill it up, to say this is the antitype of the prediction. So like, that's one cr criticism I would have of the LSB is that sometimes their, des their good desire for lexical uniformity um, overdoes it. But it's, it'd be in the overwhelming minority. I had the privilege of consulting on five of the New Testament books. Which five did you do? No, not do. Just, uh, <laughs> just consulted. Like they handed me the proposed text and I just went through and gave comments. But I did one on, on 2 Corinthians, on Romans, on uh, Philippians, on Hebrews, and I forget the other one already. Second Thessalonians, I think it was. And then I had like a few like key things like that first John 5 1, like, hey, don't miss this, you know. And they got and they got feedback like that from, I mean, hundreds of people. They really did it was six main translators, but they really welcomed feedback from everybody and went through every proposed suggestion one by one. I mean, just a really a Herculean work. Um, and so I think that by, it's going to be the most accurate translation that's out there for sure. 
but like I think with any translation, you're gonna you're gonna have spots where you're gonna go, you know, I might have gone I might have gone in a different direction with that. So like unless you're on the committee, you, know, you can't really do anything about that. And sometimes even when you're on the committee, you know, you just can't convince the other five guys, right? So I, I was I expected even some of those guys would say, you know, yeah, I would have voted to go in the other direction, but I couldn't convince them, and so. So if somebody is trying to decide between the New American Standard 95, the ESV, English Standard Version, and now the new Legacy Standard Bible, should they make the switch over to the Legacy? If I was only allowed one word, I would say yes. Um, I think that if if you're, you're looking for a new translation, like if you're just starting from scratch, then yeah, I think you should go with the Legacy. I think it's probably worth buying a 95 because I don't. They're going to be available too much longer. I mean, the text will always be available, like on the electronic versions and things like that. But I don't. I, I think that the reason that the Lockman Foundation did an update, the 2020 update, and then also why we did the LSB is because we were we were gonna. They're going to stop printing the NA, the NAS 95. So you will not be able to get 95 editions of the NAS any any longer. That would be my expectation. Otherwise, why do an update of it, right? You, you know, can you go get an NAS 77? You know, probably if you could, like on eBay maybe, but when the 95 came out, it really made the 77 obsolete. And frankly, the 77 made the 1901 ASV obsolete. That's how it, that's how it goes. My, I, I don't have insider information there, but I would just expect that since they themselves was were going to do an update from for 2020, and because we also then get, got permission to do this update, I would expect that it's not going to be too much longer that they're going to sell as part of their inventory the 95 translation. Um, so I, I would want to grab one just so that I could have one for posterity for you know comparison and everything. But the hope would be that the LSB really does you know take root for people and um, and become their translation of choice and and then sort of make the 95 less less needed. My appreciation to Mike Riccardi for letting me uh, ask him a couple of questions about the Legacy Standard Bible. Now, as I mentioned, and as, as Mike said too, there were some other language things that were tightened up a little bit. Let me give you another example of this. I, uh, As I said, we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians here at our expository workshop. And as we were doing the pre-workshop, we were talking through this stuff first as pastors before leading the other pastors that came and, and became part of this workshop. Uh, so we're going through the different texts together, and one of these came up. This was in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, let me read to you. I'm going to start here in verse 3. This is out of the New American Standard 95, okay? 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, that that last section I read to you there, that last sentence, that was verse 5. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. When you read that in the New American Standard, the words we are are italicized. And the reason why they're italicized is because they do not appear in the original language. If you were to read this in Greek, the words we are are not there in Greek. 
they're added in English just to make the sentence flow better. It's not that anything's being added to the text that's not there. It's just so, you know, when you go from Greek to English, it flows better if you add those words in. Well, in the legacy standard, those words we are are not there. Now, there are some words in the legacy standard that are italicized. Whenever you see that italicization, you know that those words don't appear in the original Greek, but they were added so that the English would flow a little bit better. But, uh, but here, to tighten up the translation a little bit, when you look at it in the Legacy Standard Bible, those words, we are, are not there, but rather the thought that began in verses 3 and 4 flows into chapter 5 so that the, word, the words, we are, do not need to be added. So here it is from the Legacy Standard. This is 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. As we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Did you hear the difference there? So you didn't need to add the words we are because in the New American Standard, verse 5 starts a new sentence. In the Legacy Standard, verse 5 is still continuing the sentence that had started in verse 3. So it flows better. And, and that's one of the things that I like about the LSB. I think it just it flows. It's not as clunky as I felt like the New American Standard 95 was. I did a lot of study in the New American Standard, but I did not preach from the New American Standard. I, I felt as far as preaching went, the ESV, the English Standard Version, was just a little smoother. And it was more common as well. A lot more people were buying the English Standard Version. But for me, it was mostly the language, the smoothness of the language. The legacy standard has smoothed that out, I believe, a little bit more. So the so it does not feel as clunky as the NASB. If you have enjoyed the teaching that I've been doing from 1 Corinthians, from which I've been, or, or, or through that, I've been reading from the legacy standard, and it sounds great to you, well, that's all the credit to the, the translators and the editors of this particular translation. And I love the work that they have done. I've still been reading from the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs edition that I received. It was a gift, in fact, from Pastor Tom. There is the, the full version now, Genesis through Revelation. They just came out this month or this last month. You can go online and order them. Once again, that's at uh, steadfastbibles.com. And I just want to say, they've not paid me to do any of this. No one at either one of those organizations has, has contacted me and asked if I would stump for them with their new Bible or even add their translation into my podcast. Nobody's asked me to do that. This is you're just you're getting this from an independent guy who's not being paid by anybody to to tell you this stuff. This has just been my experience with using these particular translations. I did not think I would ever use a different translation than the English Standard Version. And to this day, I'll still say, it's still a great translation. If you want to stay in the ESV, that's great. One thing I do notice, though, or I have noticed with the English Standard Version, so I recently wrote a Bible study for uh, one of the groups at our church, and it was through 1 Timothy. And the Bible that I used to write the Bible study in 1 Timothy, which by the way, so some, some of you online have asked me for this Bible study. It will be made available at the beginning of 2021. So, or sorry, we're in 2021, at the beginning of 2022. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the year that never ends, right? So uh, at the beginning of 2022, I will have 
the First Timothy study available in print, and I'm also going to be releasing a study through First Thessalonians as well. Both of them are 12-week studies. So uh, be looking for that. It'll be on the website, www.utt.com, and we'll talk about it on the, on the podcast and everything else. But anyway, going back to my story. So I was writing this study in First Timothy, and when I wrote the study in First Timothy, all the, the text in it is from the English Standard Version because that's the translation most used at our church. I was using a recent version, like a, like a newer version of the English Standard Version, literally newer in the sense that it was a Bible that had been given to me and I had it on my desk. So that was the Bible that I used while I was writing the study through 1 Timothy. Well, when I was, I was with the teachers of that class recently, we were all you know gathered around a table for the next lesson that was coming up, and I was kind of taking them through the lesson. And on my way to that lesson, I grabbed off my shelf my very first copy of the English Standard Version. And when I sat down with them at the table and started going through the text that I had written from the newer English Standard Version and was comparing that with the text that I had in my first edition of the English Standard Version, they were different. And the English Standard Version is not that old a translation. It's one of the most recent translations. And yet, what I was looking at, they were, it was completely different wording. Not completely different. I wouldn't say it was quite as different as like the, like a, oh, uh, a 1990 version of the NIV versus a 2020 version of the NIV. (laughs) Those are really different. But so it wasn't quite that different, but it was clearly different. So there have been some changes that have been made in more updated versions of the English Standard Bible. So that translation does change periodically. I, I, don't, I can't remember what my point was going to be <laughs> regarding that, other than uh, you know, even some of these modern translations that you use, they do change a little bit. I hope with something like the Legacy Standard Bible that this is something that's going to be more consistent, that we're not going to see as many changes over a shorter period of time like what Crossway did with the English Standard Version, but we're going to see a more consistent translation here that we can hold on to and pass on to generations, which I believe is going to be... uh, Anyway, I believe that to be one of the uh, ambitions of the Legacy Standard editors, which is precisely why it's called the Legacy Standard Bible. There's a legacy here that's being preserved that's going to be passed on. That would be my hope with this particular translation. I would like to see that carry on into the future. So there's there's my, in a nutshell, oh, no, that wasn't a nutshell at all. That was actually <laughs> quite a lengthy explanation. But anyway, there you go, Dan, answering your question about some of the differences that I saw between the, LA, uh, the LSB and the NASB 95. You're going to be making less of a major transition going from the NASB 95 to the LSB than anybody who's been studying from the ESV and going to the uh, the LSB. You're just going to feel like your NASB 95 got improved a little bit. That's the way you're going to feel going from the New American Standard to the Legacy Standard. All right, let's go on to the next question here. Hello, Hughes family. This is from Savannah in Missouri. She says, your faithfulness in this ministry has been such a blessing to me. I always look forward to the Friday Q&A and getting to hear from Becky too. Savannah, I'm sorry Becky's not on with me this week. I have a question about circumstances concerning women teaching. 
My church has an adult Sunday school, which serves as a theological equipping class of sorts. Occasionally, they will have women teach it, depending on the topic. It is still a class full of both men and women, though. So it's a co-ed class. Does the command for women not to teach still apply in this context since it's not the main worship service? Our church is generally sound when it comes to the essentials, so I am unsure of this. Uh, I, I am unsure if this is cause for alarm and how we should approach it. Thank you in advance. Well, I'm, uh, let, first of all, let's go to 1 Timothy. Let's read the instruction there again, and then I'll come back to responding to uh, Savannah's question. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse 9. We'll just look at 9 through 15. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, with modesty and self-restraint, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly clothing. So before going on here, notice that this is having to do with how a woman adorns herself, the kind of clothing that she wears, and Paul is urging to use self-restraint. So the, the more revealing she is, or the more flashy she is, that actually demonstrates a lack of self-restraint. And this begins, this, this instruction that Paul has for women begins and ends with a call to self-restraint. Or self-control might be, you know, if you're reading out of the ESV, you're going to see the word self-control there. So that she must exercise self-restraint or self-control, that's in verse 9, comes up again in verse 15. May she continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. So you see how the instructions begin and end with that instruction, okay? So then verse 10, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women professing godliness. Now, I came in in the middle of a sentence there, but rather than adorning herself in clothing that attracts attention to herself, she exercises self-restraint and she should be adorned in good works, proper for women professing godliness. Verse 11, a woman must learn in quietness, in all submission. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was formed first, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into trespass. But she will be saved through the bearing of children, if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with self-restraint. So there's that call to self-restraint there again. Now, verse 11 begins with this instruction, a woman must learn. Now, that was really big. That was huge in the first century church for the instruction to, to be given that way, that a woman must learn because women could not go and sit in the important places in the synagogues her uh, testimony was not even admissible in court. A woman was not given positions of leadership. She was really considered to be subordinate to men. So for it to be said in the church, in the first century church, 1 Timothy 2.11, a woman must learn. That was a big deal. And when women heard that said, they would have rejoiced to hear that. Yay, we get to be in the church with the men, and they're not even separated. Men over here, women over here. No, it's, it's families worshiping together. It's not the men get the important seats and the women get the, get the subordinate seats. They're all seated together 
under the teaching of the word of God, a woman is there to learn as the men are even there to learn. So that, that's a big deal. That's, that's a big thing for it to be said, it, it, it to be so inclusive of women in this way. We should not start reading these verses here in 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 12, the way that the culture says that we're supposed to receive them as if women are being oppressed here. That's clearly not the aim is to impress women, but rather to include them, that they are every bit as much a part of the body as the men are. However, she must learn in quietness and in all submission. So she is yielding to authority. That word submit means to yield to authority. And it's an authority that women are not going to be permitted to have. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. So the position of pastor or elder, the overseer in the church, which is what's coming up next in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. You have the instructions concerning overseers. That position is not going to be for a woman. It is only for a man. And you can tell when you read those instructions that it only has men in mind. Only a man can fill that role as an overseer of the church because it says that he must lead his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He must be the husband of one wife. That's in verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. So there's not, another, there's not a different set of instructions for women as elders or overseers. There's only these instructions for men. So you can tell from the instructions that this is meant for men to fill that particular role a woman is so important to the church. She is just as important to the church as a man is. If you have a church that was all men, you would have a dysfunctional church. But she is a picture of submission. As the whole church is to submit to Christ, Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5, so a woman in the church is to be in submission, and she is not to assert herself into those roles which are meant only for men. And Paul grounds this by going back to the creation story. So the very first man and woman, therefore, you know by where Paul uh, uh, puts this that it's for all cultures and all people at all times. This applies to everybody because it goes back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Adam was formed first and then Eve. And that's really all Paul has to say. But he also points out Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, Adam was deceived as well, and men can be just as deceived as women are. But Eve was the first one deceived. So as part of that, because Adam was formed first and Eve was deceived first, Therefore, it is given to men to fill the roles of overseer and not for women. A woman must, must remain quiet. And this is an exercise of self-restraint. She restrains herself from trying to assert herself into those positions that God has not intended for her to have. When you, when you look at the order of the home, when you look at the structure of the household, the family, the way that God has created it, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Again, going back to Ephesians chapter 5. So you take that structure from the home, you apply it to the church, which is the family of God. And those who are overseeing the church, it's given for a man to oversee that, uh, to oversee the teaching in the church. It is not given for a woman to do that. So with that in mind, we get to this instruction from Savannah. We're talking about a mixed group here. We're talking about an assembled body of believers that are part of the church 
and there are women teaching in that class that Savannah is asking about here. It's an equipping class. It's an equipping class for the church, but women are teaching it. Based on what we have here in 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15, should a woman be teaching that class? No. In the proper order that has been given here for stewarding the household of God, because that, that's the reason why Paul writes this letter to Timothy, that he may know how to steward the household of God. Consider chapter 3, verse 15. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And back at the beginning of this particular letter, he had said, as I exhorted you in going to Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may command certain ones not to teach a different doctrine, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the stewardship from God, which is by faith. So Paul talks about stewardship at the beginning of the letter, but really brings home the reason for the letter in chapter 3, verse 15, the purpose of the letter is so that Timothy would know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. And then he's teaching the rest of the church that as well. So when it comes to stewarding the household of God, a woman's role in that is to be submissive and to not put herself in a teaching position over men. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, Savannah, how should you deal with this situation then in your, in your church? Well, I think that the elders should be the ones that should be talked to about it first. So going to them and explaining to them exactly what we have here in 1 Timothy 2, and then asking the question the same way that I did. So based on what we have here in 1 Timothy 2, should it therefore be okay for a woman to teach in this equipping class? Or should we leave it to the men to teach the church how to steward the household of God? Because that's that's what's... It sounds to me like that's what's happening in this equipping class. It's teaching one another how to steward the household of God. So shouldn't that be given to the men to do that? Now, given that you are a woman and you would be going to the elders essentially to tell them that the way that they're exercising this is incorrect, that they're out of order, give it to your husband to do so. And hopefully he will be the one that will go to the elders. The two of you talking about this together, your husband says, yes, I agree. This is not the way that this is to be done in our church. You go to the elders and you talk about this, uh, and hopefully they come to understand based on the way that we have been given the order of stewardship in First and Second Timothy, this is, we're not doing this correct in our equipping class. It needs to be upon the men to teach the church how to steward the household of God. So thank you so much for your question, Savannah. And that's I've, I'm over a half an hour now, and that's as much time as I was going to give to the Q&A this week, so I'm going to have to wrap it up there. <laughs> thank you so much for listening in this week, and pray for me as I'm going to be on the road heading back to Texas tonight, in fact. Same day you're hearing this broadcast, I am leaving from Oklahoma and heading back down to Texas this evening, so pray for safe travels I so look forward to seeing my family again soon. Let's pray. And, and uh, well, I was about to say, let's pray and we'll be dismissed because that's the way I close my sermons and my Sunday school classes. You're not going anywhere unless you're listening to this driving in the car. All right. 
Enough of that. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word that guides us and teaches us. As the psalmist says in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are guiding and correcting instruments. And so that's what we have in the word of God, guiding us and correcting us, that we may be on the path of righteousness. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, that we would do what is pleasing unto the Lord, that we would care for one another, building each other up in the word, just as we are doing when we open up the word of God. So may we do for one another that the entire church may be equipped in a proper way, building each other up in love as we are called to do in Ephesians chapter four. Uh, Be with us this day and into our weekend. We look so forward to church when we can be gathered together with the saints in the body of Christ, rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people out there right now that, that can't get to church, probably because of mandates, their own local governments coming down upon them, or it may even be because their own elders or pastors are cowardly and they have shut down their churches and prevented people from being able to come in and worship the Lord. I pray that you would uh, comfort their hearts with your word, that you would convict the hearts of these men that are cowardly in the, in the face of these things that the government is trying to impose upon the people of God. And may we stand boldly in the face of these things. I mean, we're not even at war here in the sense that we're having to take up arms. It's not even anything like that. It's just opening the doors of the church. May they be so courageous to do so, and even more so to open up the word of God and let the word of God fly that the, the saints may be edified and encouraged and built up and that sinners would be convicted and they would turn from their wicked ways to worship the Lord Jesus Christ who will come for us in glory. For those who believe in the Lord Christ, we will be rescued from this world and we will join in uh, with God in glory. But for those who are not in Christ, that day will be a day of judgment. May we stand in fear, in awe of you honor in reverence and living a holy life that is pleasing unto the Lord our God who has given us so much to save us, to rescue us from our sins and from the judgment that is coming against all the unrighteous. Make us bold and courageous in these days. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This is When We Understand the Text with Pastor Gabe Hughes. There are lots of great Bible teaching programs on the web, and we thank you for selecting ours. But this is no replacement for regular fellowship with a church family. Find a good, gospel-teaching, Christ-centered church to worship with this weekend, and join us again Monday for more Bible study, When We Understand the Text.